Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Deli, Season 1, Episode 6, along with Coach K, the Yogi, Gordon Kaplan. I am Mike Hootner, your co-host for today's podcast, and you can always send us an email at thesportsdeli at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, Mike Hootner, and on Twitter, at Michael Hootner. Well, today we have a very special guest with us. But before we introduce her, in about 10 minutes, we have some breaking news. According to an article published in the Washington Post, 15 women who previously worked for the Washington Redskins organization have alleged sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former scouts and members of owner Daniel Snyder's inner circle. And that is not all. Among those accused of misconduct are former director of pro personnel Alex Santos, and former assistant director of pro personnel Richard Mann II, as well as longtime radio play-by-play announcer and senior VP Larry Michael. All three departed the organization within the past week. Others named in the report are former president of business operations, Dennis Green and former chief operating officer Mitch Greshman, who along with Michael were considered part of Snyder's inner circle. There's no allegations against Snyder yet, allegedly. Former longtime general manager Bruce Allen, who was fired at the end of the 19th season after 10 years with the franchise, is not named in the allegation either. Uh, Snyder declined several requests. And listen, uh, this owner's been a joke right from the jump. He has burned this organization down to the ground. And I can honestly say that he's done worse job than the Lions organization. I remember when I was in college, and I have a couple of friends, including uh, one of our co-hosts on the show, John, they had a 41-year waiting list at one point. And you can't give these tickets away now. And it's just an absolute joke. Uh, Emily Applegate, the only former Washington female employee named in the Post report, said that Gershman was verbally abusive toward her over minor workplace issues and also complimented her body. Gershman replied, I barely remember who she is. Yeah, of course you do, G-Money. How convenient. I thought the Redskins was a great place to work. I would apologize to anyone who thought I was verbally abusive. Yeah, right. You know what? (laughs) There is zero tolerance for this kind of crap anymore. Get out. No one's interested in objectifying women. No one's interested in any of these types of unconscionable behaviors by people in management, and let's get rid of the good old boy network. Get this entire ownership group out of D.C. Get out. Seven former employees alleged to the Post that Michael, who announced Wednesday he was retiring after 16 years, routinely spoke about the physical appearance of female colleagues in a sexual and disparaging manner, including a college-aged intern and a comment that was caught on a hot mic in 2018. The team has hired D.C. Attorney Beth Wilkinson of Wilkinson Walsh LLP to review the organization protocols, including its culture, policies, and allegations of workplace misconduct. Wilkinson confirmed in a statement on Thursday. Well, listen, uh, like I said, Daniel Snyder's a joke. The organization is a joke. Uh, They haven't respected uh, anything from the name of the uh, franchise and several requests over the years to change it. They lied about reports about uh, the percentage of people who approved the name. 
when in fact most Native Americans did not approve of the name. And these allegations are not surprising. And we'll let things, you know, sort of pan out and see where they go. But I just wish Daniel Snyder would sell the organization to uh, a minority um, owner and uh, give an African-American an opportunity like Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan uh, or LeBron James, you know, somebody who, who gets it and would, you know, have tremendous success in running a pro football organization. Um, so, you know, this is very sad to hear, but again, it's not surprising because Daniel Snyder has been a bully and, uh, is just, again, a, a, just an atrocious owner. And I think there's going to be more to this story, uh, as it continues to be investigated. And, uh, unfortunately for the new coaching staff that, uh, was just brought in, uh, they're going to have to, you know, face some of the things that go along with these type of allegations, but that, you know, I guess it, it comes with the territory sometimes. So look, uh, I, bottom line is I think that, uh, I don't care what, uh, attorneys they bring in to represent the Redskins and Daniel Snyder. Uh, they're probably going to end up settling hopefully before they even get to court. Daniel Snyder takes his majority ownership and doesn't let the door hit him in the ass. Later, Dan, Danny boy. Uh, in other news, uh, the NBA is getting closer to their restart. So we're definitely excited to see how that works out and how the bubble works out. And uh, if players are going to adhere to the strict rules that are in place, and uh, it's been rumored that some of the players uh, do not agree with some of the things going on in terms of the rules of the bubble. And listen, guys, stay your ass in the bubble. Stop complaining about uh, the accommodations. You know, as Jay Williams said on ESPN, uh, you're tone deaf. There are people that are dying every day from COVID and not wearing masks. And you're complaining about uh, living in a, in a million dollar bubble and being able to play the game that you love. So I agree with Jay. Stop complaining. It's literally ridiculous. And in other breaking news, according to Deadspin.com, Rachel Nichols was recorded secretly in a hotel room as she's covering the return to the NBA uh, in the bubble. And uh, she is the host of The Jump, and supposedly she was discussing personnel matters at ESPN, and uh, someone is certainly trying to backstab her and uh, get her to comment about uh, certain things about ESPN uh, for whatever reason. And so, look, if it turns out that she's disparaging, uh, you know, certain uh, aspects of ESPN or has uh, certain opinions about what's going on there, um, you, you got to hear both sides of the story, obviously, but uh, we don't know exactly what she's talking about. But uh, if it turns out that she's uh, defaming anyone or uh, talking in a specific manner, you know, about the network, um, you know, could be uh, grounds for suspension or removal. You know, ESPN just uh, suspended 
um, Woj uh, as a result of his comments. And uh, so, you know, uh, and on the other hand, it's a little bit uh, ridiculous to be uh, secretly recording and uh, it is potentially illegal, according to the article. Uh, and that's why Deadspin was not going to release any of the uh, video footage, even though this 30-minute video was sent to them. And no one knows exactly why it was sent to Deadspin. Uh, but the more disturbing story, according to Deadspin, is that the videos appear to uh, be out of uh, Nichols' hotel room. So, you know, it's just, it, it smells very fishy. And uh, we'll just sort of see where this goes. And I think really the bottom line to all this is, is that even if she did say something, A, it was off the record, and B, she never gave her consent to being recorded. Uh, C, everybody gets frustrated, so even if she did uh, say anything uh, out of frustration, uh, people are allowed to, uh, you know, vent, especially at a time like this where, you know, emotions are high. And... Uh, but if it does turn out that uh, she says things that might compromise her position, uh, that would be the unfortunate part because uh, Rachel Nichols has always been the consummate professional. She's been well-received everywhere she's gone. She does great interviews. The, the players that she always interviews seem to really like her. Um, so she's covering the NBA and their return after, you know, the most uh, difficult time in our history. And so I hope nothing really comes out of this except whoever secretly recorded this gets exposed and Rachel Nichols uh, is exonerated from anything that she might have said. And at the very minimum, it was just more of her venting her frustration over things that should have been kept private. And before we join our very special guest today. I do have to say that I'm so excited that Tiger Woods is back at the memorial. And I know there's still no fans, but when you're watching it on television, you just want to see the best players in the world. And Tiger had a fast start today. And although he ended the day with a birdie at 18 and finished the day at one under, five behind the leader, Tony Finau, uh, I didn't care. Obviously, I want him to be in contention, but it was just so great to have him back. Thanks, Tiger, for coming back and playing this weekend. And I'm excited to see him tomorrow and then hopefully over the weekend. He's in contention because anytime Tiger is in contention uh, or in the field, it's, uh, it's always Tiger versus the field. And it's just great to have him back and healthy and uh, we got uh, a major coming up here in a few months, and hopefully he's in some other tournaments. Uh, and I just was so excited to watch him today. I, w I was so excited I watched him uh, on the on the repeat, also on the Golf Channel. So um, thanks, Tiger, for being back, and it's going to make my uh, weekend that much better. And now we are excited to bring in our very special guest. Dr. Carissa Niehoff is the 
executive director for the National Federation of State High School Associations, and she's been generous enough to join us today. Dr. Niehoff, we're so excited that you're uh, joining us today to talk about a number of uh, relevant issues from Title IX to concussions to the state of high school and youth sports uh, amidst this pandemic and um, social injustice issues. Uh, so again, thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. Sorry about that. Oh, no that's all right. We'll just uh, make you do 17 push-ups for being 17 minutes <laughs> um, <laughs> or, yeah, or just, pull-ups. All right, let me just blacken my screen and you can trust that I do it. That's right. You're good. We, we were we were bannering. We just had Steve Lavin on uh, a couple days ago, and we were reminiscing. Can you reminisce from somebody that was only on two days ago? But, no. Uh, yes. We, yeah. But uh, we it, were talking in about this you Steve can. and how, how – I've known Steve for a long time, but he, he won Gordon over uh, because of some of his uh, long-winded responses that do not require follow-up answers because of <laughs> – how Steve and, loves and Dr. Niehoff, it is not. I, I am not a win over kind of guy. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm. I, there's not a lot of areas where I'm dogmatic, but when it comes to college coaches, I'm, I'm pretty concretized in terms of, you know, who, who I think is, who I think is living up to the, the title. Oh my God, that's a new word. I'm going to write that down. I like it. Conc oh, he I stole it. I stole it. I stole it from Iyengar, BKS Iyengar, who said levelize which isn't a word, but it's absolutely perfect for teaching yoga. And Mike and I both teach. And so I thought, oh, what a great addition. It's just a simple, you know, little suffix. So I use it all the time now. I love it. Love it. So how Here's are you guys out there? You got some big news in your state. Definitely. Yeah, in California, we're seeing a big rise. In, and uh, I know here in San Diego, they decided that they're going to go online again to at least start the school year. And uh, I have a feeling it's going to be the entire first semester, but we'll just have to wait and see. Ron Nachetti was, he was just giving us these little WikiLeaks for weeks now. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Finally, you know, I don't know if it took Stanford to kind of open the floodgate there or, you know, watch, watching the NCAA decisions, who knows if they were even related, but oof. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was oof. in. I flew to Baltimore, Doctor Niehoff, the eighth uh, of March, because I wanted to go to Johns Hopkins and watch the Division three first rounds. And uh, I have friends in Baltimore. I grew up in Baltimore. And and uh, the night before the game, I got a text before I went to sleep that said, "No spectators at tomorrow's game." And I was. I, I had never heard such <laughs> a ridiculous thing in all my life. And I thought. This can't, first of all, this can't be true. And then once I realized that it was in fact true and that the games, you know, I wasn't going to be able to attend having flown across the country, I was like, uh, they're being a little hasty at Hopkins, the number one, you know, research hospital in the, in the U.S. They're being a little hasty. And now in hindsight, I feel a little bit silly because as it turns out, they weren't hasty. They were being quite prudent. Um, and it just takes a long time, it seems like, for everybody else to get on, on the bandwagon with that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys probably remember because you cover sports so thoroughly. What was it? February 28th, I think. We had 14 cases in the U.S. that were reported. And then you go like 16 days later and everything's just shutting down. The week of March yeah. 11th, you know, it was yeah. NF, NF, NBA goes down. Uh, NCAA went down on the 11th. Um, we closed our office on the third. It was like, boom, it just. Yeah. Yeah. How are you has never been such a loaded question. Yeah. Well, are I you asking her how she is or are you just saying it's a loaded question? Well, 
Yes. Uh, so how, 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 how has it been to be working from home? And I know you had a, a virtual, uh, uh, your annual uh, conference that you normally have in Colorado was, uh, had to be done remotely. How, how did that go? What did you guys discuss uh, in that that maybe was different than your normal conversations uh, from year to year? Well, my goodness, uh, first of all, thanks for technology, right? It's, it's kept us moving. Um, as I said, we left our office March 13th and, and all meetings from there on were virtual rules committees, big annual meetings. Um, some things were canceled, of course, but um, our staff's been working terrifically remotely uh, ever since. Um, our summer meeting went very well. As you can imagine, it was abbreviated. We had folks on the line with sessions summits, workshops, roundtables from about noon to 5 p.m. each day. And of course, the topic on everybody's minds is COVID and what's, what's going on nationwide. Um, next in line would be, you know, responding to the racial tensions that have really, um, you know, been, been horrific. And how do we do that with our kids, with our, our programs, with our staff, with ourselves? So those are the two big issues um, but certainly getting kids back to school and back to activity with a full understanding that it's going to look like patchwork out there nationwide. It's going to be different um, across states, within states. And I think, you know, public, public uh, has to have a good perspective on this and just know and accept that it's going to be different. Um, and it may change in the moment. So it's kind of where folks are at, the, at this point. I have a thought that comes to mind when you talk about that. My uh, best friend uh, since fifth grade uh, runs the uh, Detroit uh, Police Athletic League's uh, Think Detroit Pal uh, Youth League, and they started back uh, playing baseball a couple weeks ago uh, with a lot of things uh, in place. And then uh, another colleague of mine here runs EBO, uh, Marlon Wells, uh, uh, basketball coach here at a pretty prestigious high school and he's in Vegas at a tournament and you know one of our uh, guests who's typically on with us uh, answering questions about COVID uh, when we asked him a couple days ago was just blown away that anybody is playing any types of sports right now um, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's an overreaction by any means and what what are your recommendations uh and obviously you're going by the guidelines uh from the top down what are your thoughts on resuming action and you know going back to class and you know it just seems i mean i know personally but i i know i have anxiety even going and working with my private clients being 10 feet away with a mask on let alone i have a nine-year-old daughter you know thinking about sending her back to a, a team sport is just really uh, scary. I mean, she's in gymnastics and softball right now, but to do basketball or football, it just, it's just mind-blowing from my perspective. Yeah, so um, I appreciate that question, that's, and that's probably one that's central right now, especially for parents, um, as you, we all want our kids to have as much normalcy as possible. Um, we certainly want our kids to get back to school. Online learning's tough. For some kids, it can be done, and, and for a lot of kids, it's you know, it's, it's a superficial attempt at trying to keep them deeply engaged with curriculum. So um, we really hope that, um, and again, this is going to look different geographically around our country. 
first and foremost pay attention to the COVID situation in your own area, right? So what does contagion look like? What are the numbers? What are your recommendations from your governor and your State Department of Education? And then certainly at the local level, what are the superintendents and boards of education deciding? Um, so all of those uh, decision makers will feed into whether or not a parent has this opportunity in front of them. And then of course, um, we want to really focus on the value of, of course, going back to school. But the, the second half of the school day, I like to call it, where you have your co-curriculars, your athletics, your performing arts, and some of the other activities that really are a huge um, source of engagement for kids. We have a lot of kids that get through the first half of the school day so they can get to the second half of the school day. Mm -hmm. And we know the role that sports and such play in the overall growth and development of kids. The scholastic age group needs those activities. So if you look at all the numbers, if, if I would say to parents, pay attention to how your kids are doing. Emotionally, um, you know, are they anxious? Are, are they depressed? Are they disengaged? Are they not moving out of the house? Um, do they wanna go back? And then become as informed as possible on the opportunities that you have. Get in touch with coaches, find out what it really will look like. What are the safety measures that are in place? What are the strategies about getting back to activity? Talk to your, your school leaders. What is it gonna look like? Am I getting the kid on the bus? What is that? And then what are the, what's the classroom setup? So I think to be, be informed, be aware as parents, and then um, you know, respect your own level of readiness, certainly. Uh, I think schools are doing that. But I would say it's important that we do get kids back to activity in a safe manner as soon as we can. Dr. Niehoff, is, it, is, there, is it a little bit messy? I mean, you are in a position where you have to create some kind of thread between different state um, athletic bodies. Um, obviously, different states are looking at what's going on in some radically different ways, some slightly different ways. I, I got a text from a colleague in Georgia who said, he thought they were going to get permission for full contact football next week. I don't know that that's going to happen. But is, is it messy to get everybody sort of together on the same page, knowing that, you know, your, your, your message to parents is, you know, listen to your, your, your district, and that district may be, may be very different than the district that's just across the border? Yeah, it, it absolutely is messy to try to have some semblance of consistency nationwide you know we're dealing with almost 20,000 high schools and I, the best that we can do as a national organization is to provide guidance for general return um, which we did release fairly early on and then we've also provided some suggestions for rules modifications to try to allow for some social distancing within athletic experience and performing arts experience um, but you know what we can do beyond that is serve as a forum for conversation for our executive directors, which we will be doing on a weekly basis. One, in fact, this afternoon. So executive directors can talk with one another, share best practices, share frustrations, um, share challenges, and you know share what's going on. Um, I will send to you guys the most updated link to a live spreadsheet that our states are populating. And they're in their columns are, you know, what is their timeline protocol? 
What are they modifying? Are they sw switching seasons, for example? Um, are they delaying? All sorts of questions like that. Um, I'll make sure you guys have a link to that so you can stay on top of the situation too. Um, awesome. But it, it, yeah, it's absolutely messy. Um, if we can serve as a resource, um, a catalyst for communication, um, and a voice that advocates for the differences between scholastic sport and other kinds of sport opportunities, clubs, youth programs, uh, collegiate level, uh, professional level, certainly, but why is the education-based experience different from our neighbors next door at the collegiate level? Um, or even those club teams where there's very little sort of accountability over organizational logistics and such. So, um, so we're different. And that's another thing we can do is really advocate for the, the very well-informed educational environment. This is the Sports Deli, season one, episode six. And we are being joined by Dr. Carissa Niehoff, the executive director of the National Federation of State High School Associations. And we are currently discussing the state of return of high school and youth sports in America. Now, you guys said that you were um, uh, pretty early in, in a release of guidelines. And I think that's true. Um, not every state has been as, as nimble and as swift. Do you know what challenges they're facing in terms of getting all this together? In he, just got in that, terms he got that word from Lav, by the way. <laughs> Lav talked about being nimble, and he, he, he interjected that into today. That was pretty good, Gordon. I like that. You always try to copy from people who do well. That's right. Got to steal in this world, right? So uh, I like the word nimble because um, I think that's important in what we do in sport in general, especially when we get when we uh, start to talk about do legislators make the decisions or do state associations make the decisions, when you start to legislate sport, you lose that nimbleness. So I appreciate the word. Um, I think the relationship between uh, and strength of state health agencies and governor's offices in terms of leadership differs from state to state. In states where the governor's office works well with the state health agencies, works well with the Department of Education. And of course, then the state association is connected with those authorities. I think you saw a quicker turnaround and release of return documentation or guidance. Why would um, they not work well with the state associations? I don't understand. Yeah, um, you know, just historically, maybe the relationship hasn't been there. Um, and really, it wasn't until the concussion uh, energy really exploded that state associations were really forced to have a working relationship with state health departments and agencies. So really, it's a fairly nascent, there's a word, nascent situation. Wow. Um, early on, it's just like 20 years old that sport organizations have worked with state health agencies. Um, so I think, you know, as, as, as strong as the leadership is in those respective areas, I think that those were the states that generated some language quicker. Um, and of course, a state like California is just massive. So um, a lot of variables to consider, and that can differ across states. Now, Dr. Niehoff, you, had, you mentioned uh, earlier the, the um, second half of the day, which I think is a, a great way to, re to sort of reference that. And, um, so uh, do you think 
uh, it, it seems like, and maybe you'll confirm, do you think the first and second half of the day in the in school, in terms of high school or middle school, they're they're married to each other? And and here, here's what I mean by that. Like if, if we're asking kids or, or the mandate is that you're gonna come to school, even if it's two days a week, and you'll have your temperature taken in the lobby and you'll fill out a questionnaire and you will wash your hands and, and then you'll go to class. We can't really tell kids they can go to after school basketball practice without a mask, can we? Well, there's, that's a great question. I do think the two, if they're not married already, um, in, in any location that they need to be. And I think the, the thread is education-based experiences. So um, as opposed to recreational environments where coaches may not necessarily have an education background, they're, you know, in, in schools, we want to be coaching kids, not coaching sports, so to speak, first. So I do think the two halves of the school, they need to be married. They should be looked at as co-curricular, not extracurricular. And I know that's just verbiage, but the implication there is different. Um, and I also think we need to be um, respectful that participation in school-based sport is, is a privilege. It's not necessarily a right. Um, and sometimes when I was a principal, for example, we had that conversation with parents about who makes varsity teams and who gets playing time and, you know, some of those challenges. So I, I think if our kids um, are expected to wear a mask in school during the day, they certainly should be expected to wear a mask when possible as they participate in sport. Um, certainly in the heat, uh, aerobic exertion, it's going to be a situation where if they can't breathe wearing this mask, take it off. Um, but have other safeguards in place. But, you know, as they're going to and from the, the, the field or the court, um, as they're stretching, as they're doing chalk talks, as they're, you know, winding down or warming up and lower exertion, they, they should probably have their face covered, yes. So when I was talking to Mark Kosky, uh, your communication director, uh, I, I briefly touched on the fact that here in San Diego, for example, you know, I'm sure you're looking at the NFL and intercollegiately what they're doing. Uh, but as it relates to uh, scholastic sports with football in particular, because that's such a, you know, a big thing right now, along with basketball and whether or not we're going to have a contingency plan in place. But, you know, they couldn't even get uh, safety measures in place because the plant was shut down in Tijuana that they normally use. So that's sort of part A of the question. How do we even get back? Because companies aren't even open to from a uniform standpoint uh you know maybe there's modifications in place but then you know the nfl comes out yesterday with uh announcement of a new mouth guard to help with the spread of covid and that's not something i think is going to be feasible for high schools because of the cost uh effectiveness of that but so i guess it's sort of a two-part question can high schools even get back because companies aren't even going to be able to put together um the resources to, to make sure safety measures are in place from a uniform standpoint or a helmet standpoint, I guess, in particular. And then, you know, high schools can't afford these mouth guards. I mean, how much are they, how much are these mouth guards? $500 a piece? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the cost. I did see that news though. Um, so I, I appreciate the question. And, and we were really worried about this early on, especially from a helmet reconditioning perspective. Right. Um, originally, I, I believe there are 16, companies around the country that reconditioned football helmets for high schools. And uh, initially all 16 shut down in the U.S. And, wow. 
uh, Riddell in Ohio is the biggest. They actually got back up and running fairly quickly. So right now, uh, assuming um, folks have a regular start in high schools, it is possible to have all helmets reconditioned. I'm not as familiar with uniform companies, but I would certainly think um, if you gotta wear the uniforms the second year, um, if they're in good enough shape, schools may have to do that if they can't get new ones. Um, but, but I would assume if they can get their helmets reconditioned and there's a likelihood of going back, um, that they may try. I know that uh, Shutt and Cascade equipment manufacturers, Shutt, as you all know, is big in football. Um, they are looking at a clear kind of face shield that's, it's like the plastic that you get when you get your oil changed and they put that little right in your windshield that you can peel it right off. It's that mm. kind of material. Um, as a precaution, it would come down fully over the cage. Um, but they have not tested that in terms of aerosol um, distribution. They just know forward facing, it would reduce aerosol spread. Um, Cascades mm -hmm. looking at that for lacrosse helmets, same thing. So they're trying, to, and it's fairly affordable. I don't know what a sheet of plastic would cost, but it would attach to the cage there. Um, we haven't seen it on the market. Yeah, but it hasn't been tested. So, um, of course. Yeah, I will tell you, we are um, in the midst of a study on aerosol spread with University of Colorado Boulder and University of Maryland. And we're studying aerosol spread using, I think it's five instruments, trumpet, clarinet, flute, sax, mm. and tuba. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we're also looking at speaking, uh, singing, and um, it will be aerobic exertion as well, huh. uh, and cheering, like yelling. And right, the initial results have been fascinating. We should have all the results by the end of July. And that study is gonna be huge because it's gonna demonstrate visually in video, as well as provide quantitative numbers about um, playing without filters, playing without masks, um, they even slit a, a typical blue mask, um, put a little slice in it and stuck the aperture of an instrument through that. And the initial results are, are showing dramatic reduction. So wow. we're trying to provide some information and resources that can help us understand respiratory droplets because we're learning that contact on surfaces is not the higher risk situation that we used to think it was. Yeah, it's so be interesting aerosol. because because for, you know, for, for years we've sort of wrestled with the flu, and obviously this is not the flu, but we have a, a significant flu season that affects, you know, uh, after school or, or co-curricular sport, and really haven't done much about it. We just accepted it sort of as what was going on now because, uh, because we have something that's much more significant than influenza. We're actually looking at some stuff maybe we should have been probing into um, all along to kind of have, have some of that stuff. Um, uh, you're now two, just over two years into the gig there, right? Um, yes. April, 2018. This is probably the biggest, um, issue or thing that anybody in your position there would ever have had to scale. Um, how are you, uh, keeping your sanity? How are you, um, uh, wielding, you know, self-care? What things are you, are you able to do to sort of, um, you know, stay, stay stable during this. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think for all of us, um, no one saw this coming and certainly no one saw this existing as far into the calendar as, as we are. Um, I, I think the, the mental sanity for each of us is important. And I think for, for, for us, for me personally, and, and the folks in our field, um, there are just so many great people in sport, so much positivity. And I mean, sport people, we're natural rallyers, right? We are naturally, um, we, it, we're inclined to find a teammate. We're inclined to try to beat this thing. We're inclined to strategize. Um, and we're inclined to, to put our arm around our teammate and say, hey, we're in this together. So I think, you know, the spirit of sport, if you will, um, and, and especially education-based activities, you know, we're designed to take care of each other and um, use our experience as athletes or teammates in other activities to, to look out for one another and, and naturally collaborate. That's what's been happening nationwide. Um, the Federation family, I don't think we've been in this much communication with one another ever. Mm. And it's been critical. It's been, um, a, a, it's a source of support. It's a source of um, friendship. And certainly it's a source of, of information sharing. So we're doing okay. I mean, it's really the state associations that are grappling with solutions right now. Um, I really empathize with them. Um, here we sit in Indianapolis at the national office and we can guide and lead and serve and support, but we don't have to make those on the ground decisions that the schools do. So we're just doing everything we can to be a support and, uh, and yes, we're taking care of ourselves health-wise. We have some very strict office policies and guidelines that we hope all offices do. Um, and we are respectful of everybody's range of readiness as, as people. Um, you know, so all those things, it's who we are in our field. As you guys know, you're in the field and I, I'm sure you feel it too. We rally. Well, this is definitely the ultimate uh, team effort that's required on everyone's parts. Uh, uh, I want to pivot uh, for a quick second, and, and you mentioned um, some of the social injustice going on in our country, and uh, obviously uh, the Federation makes recommendations, and I saw yesterday that a number of coaches um, from John Calipari, who, I don't, did you have any uh, um, relationship with him when you were doing your undergraduate work at UMass? Did you? No, unfortunately, I, I no. was not uh, privileged to meet him while I was there. Um, I was pretty immersed in playing Division One field hockey, which, as you all know, Division One sports are full-time jobs. So uh, totally. I, I didn't spend any time in the cage. Right. Do you, do you know Ange Bradley at Syracuse? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, we worked with her at Goucher when she first started her career, and she's had a she's done very well, obviously. But she's 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 amazing and. In, in the sport of field hockey. Uh, so I just wanted to, to ask, I brought up Kalapari because um, he's a part of this new initiative, minorityleaders.org. I don't know if you have had a chance to check it out, but it's, uh, you know, try and help, uh, you know, uh, minority leaders uh, in athletics. Um, and what, what things have you been involved in? I know you've been on ethics committees and uh, things of this nature, but obviously this is taking things to a whole new level. Uh, I watched uh, Charles Barkley and Steph Curry last night on the Golf Channel talk about race and sports in America. 
And it was very powerful to hear Jimmy Rollins talk about, um, you know, him being pulled over and, uh, you know, there's story after story about such things. And, um, you know, how do we change the narrative? And uh, I think this, there is a different vibe now and, and uh, moving forward. And so what, what are your thoughts on, on this whole situation? Well, my first thought is um, I think we are at a, a critical opportunity to, to stage a turning point. And I hope we turn in the right direction because I really fear that if we don't do this well, um, we may never have a society with this opportunity in front of us. The world is watching us and we've got to be more intentional than we've ever been. You know, we, we've talked about the importance of diversity and inclusion of all sorts of minority groups for a long time, but we haven't been as aggressive about following through um, and being able to balance what I think is absolute urgency at the same time with patience, because this isn't an overnight or a weekend project. This is nose to the grindstone, everybody in sleeves rolled up, long-term commitment. And I think we have to start by being individually responsible for our own education. Um, it, in, in my own experience, I've seen, it seems that I've observed, you know, a lot of folks, I'm Caucasian, obviously, saying, white, white folks saying, well, gosh, I really want to learn. Can you all teach me? Well, you know what? I think we're responsible for getting ourselves educated, whether it's about race or uh, cultural differences, gender challenges, uh, religious differences. We've got to be responsible for ourselves. And then we've got to reach out to the folks in our circles and be collectively responsible to have the hard conversations. And um, I would say, I'll be fully transparent and, and uh, that my role as executive director of this staff, I don't think I'm informed enough to lead our staff through that. I'm reaching out to experts in these kinds of initiatives to say, uh, guide us, at the same time, we're having internal work. Uh, we're doing internal conversations with our staff. We're also staging summits for our national membership, um, bringing in experts to have conversations with anyone interested in participation. Um, we have a subcommittee in our, our staff, a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that is, um, they're being much more strategic and intentional about serving as a national leader in this, in this space. Um, and we are also going into a strategic planning year for the NFHS, um, raising diversity, equity, and inclusion to the level of strategic priority long-term. Our board of directors has just generated a board priority around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of it speaks to outcomes, not just discussion, but what are the tangibles that we intend to realize um, that we can do to contribute to this effort. So, uh, you know, I, just, I think we need more energy behind it. We're committed to doing that here um, because honestly, within the NFHS sports rules committees, within our family, our committees don't look like the kids that these rules committees are serving necessarily. So we, we have to be responsible for what we do as well. I applaud you for uh, that response. Uh, I think uh, you're in good company when it comes to uh, this being maybe more of a white issue right now and, and uh, starting at home and learning from uh, people by listening 
and listening some more and then, you know, implementing it into our own situations based on our personality types and, you know, what we're specifically dealing with at home and in our um, professional endeavors. This is the Sports Deli, Season 1, Episode 6, and we are joined by Dr. Carissa Niehoff, the Executive Director of the National Federation of High School Associations, and along with Gordon Kaplan, Coach K, and myself, Mike Kutner, you can reach us at thesportsdeli at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram, at Mike Hootner, or on Twitter, at Michael Hootner. And we will now discuss with Dr. Niehoff some other issues that they may have to consider as sort of a pivot in the wake of the pandemic. Dr. Niehoff, you you talked a little bit about um, these two very large looming issues, and and we've already sort of covered um, the the steepness of them. Have you all had to put um, maybe some of your your daily sport issues off to the side to to redirect energies. For example, um, increasing participation, um, rules development, ethics, um, parent behavior. Those are things normally that you guys probably have um, a daily rhythm to in terms of how you're you're moving that that forward. Has, has that had to been set off to the side? That's a great question. You know, we're still trying to keep those other subjects and areas of work um, going. Um, admittedly, I think most of our day is spent um, in conversations like the one we're sharing today regarding COVID, the impact there. Um, the rules work continues, although um, our meetings are virtual. Um, and uh, we're, we're, even though our rules committees are meeting and going forward, we made a decision, for example, this spring not to do spring publications of rule books because we knew states were going to be strapped and um, we didn't want to have them feel like they have to incur costs when we really don't have a lot of changes that are made. So, you know, let, let's try to be a little forgiving there. Um, you know, the other work regarding parent behavior, fan behavior, I think it's related to what we're going through right now. I think we are going to have that work more informed as a result of COVID. Um, parents are gonna have to, as we mentioned earlier, they're gonna have to have a new perspective on what participation is. And hopefully we can really, really bang home the importance of positivity right now. Be thankful that you have opportunities. Let's focus on participation. Let's focus on what it felt like to not have it and um, and not lose uh, that message there. But certainly the sports medicine work that we're doing around head injuries, um, other injuries, that continues full speed ahead. Um, one of the things that we see emerging is a real concern about the impact of COVID-19 on the cardiac muscle. So um, we have some research going on regarding that and our sports med advisory committee is looking carefully at that. So we may have some some new concerns in the smack area. Um, but, you know, I think now it's, the work days are actually longer because we're relegated to Zoom. Mm -hmm. So it feels like the thumb over the garden hose <laughs> where you have more and more to do, but less, you're so linearly trapped meeting after meeting after meeting by Zoom. Uh, it just stretches out. Well, and it's exhausting. Yeah. Exhausting, yeah. 
So it's just, it's one dimensional. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. really meet any real human needs to begin with. So it's it's uh it's tough. Can can I ask you about um bylaw development and how, do you do you do you think you know before you turn off the light at night? Do you think how are the bylaws going to potentially evolve as a result of these things, these two big things that are going on? You see any changes in in bylaws either in terms of what you guys suggest and and publish or, or what happens at the state level sure so um as you guys know we're a federation by design so whereas the ncaa is an association with regulatory and accountability really being important for us being a federation it allows the state associations to govern pretty much develop their own bylaws and regs mm -hmm. and, and things like that which is a good thing most of the time for us. So, uh, and for them too, it's, it's win-win for them. Um, I think what we might see at the national level, um, we could very well see bylaw changes from the membership regarding requiring a certain percentage of minority candidates on our rules committees, requiring certain things to take place that are much more specific and strategic. Um, mm -hmm. Our bylaws really are governance so they're kind of dry. <laughs> uh, they talk about our structure and governance and things like that. And then we get into some of the more substantive topics with position statements um, that aren't so bylaw oriented, but we could very well see that, that translate into bylaws. So our membership is very concerned about uh, us, the NFHS serving as a leader and a support for what's happening in the States. Historically, they've kind of liked that we've been uh, sort of lifting them as opposing to being out in front, but that's shifting. Um, they're starting to ask us to be a better parent company. Um, so it, we could very well see that happen. I would, I would think in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we might see that happen there first. And would you see any changes now coming along in terms of, I know we, we talked about actually, you know, streaming uh, and ha what role that might play. Maybe it's an expanded role as the conversation about perhaps no spectators or limited spectators, does that change sort of the thrust of, you know, broadcast rights, quote unquote? Great question. So um, in your conversation with Mark Kosky, um, who's the CEO of the network, I'm guessing he shared with you the Pixelot initiative, um, which is a $200 million investment into providing the two cameras in each of our 19,500 high schools, if they're interested. Um, that does two things. It provides a revenue stream for the schools, a revenue sharing of any subscriptions that are um, secured, but it also allows that virtual opportunity for folks to watch um, in a streaming situation. So um, the state associations may start to have to wrestle with uh, streaming rights if there are, they currently have contracts, but certainly um, the states choose to provide the network with whatever they'd like to upload, the contracts between the network and states really speak to state tournament level uh, semifinals and finals. Um, that's where some of the, the contractual language uh, develops. Um, mm -hmm. But we really have the network exists to service kids programs and states um, to bring those events internationally to anybody who's interested in subscribing. So um, we're actually looking at new ways a network can give back additional forms of revenue. So um, stay tuned, there'll be more news about that. Yeah, we have, a, we have a weird, I'm in Washington, 
uh, and you know, I've coached Mike and I met at, at Goucher when he was a player and, and worked together when he came back as a coach and, um, uh, we're both involved in high school athletics and Mike does a lot of tutoring. And, um, I know here in Washington, the Metro league in Seattle ha has seemingly has a sort of an open ended, not only just an open enrollment, but they also have an open broadcast policy, Rainier beach, Garfield programs that are typically, um, uh, well known across the country. Um, but, but the Kinko league where I coach, they don't have an arrangement. It seems like they, I don't know the nuances, but it seems like they have done something to prevent that from, from happening, whether that's a price point that, that vendors are not interested in or what have you, but it sure would be great for that also to sort of get a, a broader look locally. I know you guys don't, don't have any influence over that, but, um, that, that would be something I would hope would come out of this that we might, uh, you know, put something in where grandparents in Wisconsin can actually watch their, their grandkids play if, if they so chose. Yeah, and I think locally there's, uh, at least with the Pixlock camera, there's the ability, um, I guess in the screen, and you all know the, the correct terminology, there is a little window that a local sponsor, for example, could put their logo up in there so they might have the rights to sponsorship uh, of that local high school, for example. Well, like a picture in picture or something like that, yeah? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, it doesn't interfere with the activity that's in the screen, but there it is up there. Yeah. Um, or they could do halftime 30 second spots. Um, they're just developing that capacity now and with the Pixelot camera. So there are ways that local schools can have relationships with exclusive providers either sponsorship dollars or depending on the state regulations and contracts they may have, even with streaming. Um, state associations typically don't own regular season. Um, some do, um, but they generally have the tournament rights. And so they'll mm -hmm. make decisions there. Can I pivot uh, and ask you, yep. um, you've been so forward thinking. I mean, I'm enlightened by some of the things that you've shared with us and uh, with three regards to concussion protocol, and you, you touched on it a little bit, but I'm just wondering, have you done any studies in this area? And um, has there been more research recently? And it's not just football, right? It's, it's soccer. There's, there's other sports, basketball, uh, you know, that deal with concussions more than some of the other sports. And uh, so I'm just curious, uh, you know, have things improved in this area? Are you, are you confident about where uh, your recommendations have gone since they've, you know, changed a couple of years ago with concussion protocol and things like that. Yeah, we're very uh, pleased with the results that we're getting. Each year, we do a study called the RIO, Reporting Injuries Online. Uh, essentially, athletic trainers will um, input injury data throughout the season across uh, a dozen or so sports. Um, and they, we've been doing this for, I think, 18 years now. And uh, we've watched the concussion rates in particular in football, um, where they are dramatically higher than other sports, um, go down consistently. So um, what we do is, is report data um, per uh, 10,000 exposures, if you will. So um, that would be uh, practices, games, things like that. And for the last four years, we've seen concussion rates in football uh, at under five per 10,000 exposures in competition um, and even lower than that in practice. So we believe our guidance 
for uh, concussion protocols has, has made a tremendous impact. All 50, 51 state associations, that's obviously the states in DC, have concussion guidelines in place. So uh, we think that's been, um, we have education requirements, we've got all sorts of coaching certification now happening around the country, and the concussion education is a piece of that everywhere. So we're really pleased with the level of uh, seriousness that our folks have taken this work and that the difference that it's making in the research. And for us, our whole staff, uh, basketball staff, we all have to complete an online concussion protocol video and test. Um, in addition to our, you know, CPR and first aid. And so, you know, I, I, I value that stuff. I know some people probably look at it as an additional task and they, they want to get through it. But, you know, I want to know those things for the protection of my players. I want to know what, how I interact with my ATC. I want to know, you know, all those things. And so for me, it's been really helpful uh, as an educator to, to have that every year and see how the, the protocol maybe evolves at, at, from year to year. So um, I really appreciate that. That's great. I just have I just have one more uh, question before we get into the collaborative this or that uh, segment of the show that Gordon and, and John is not with us today. Absolutely love that we uh, piloted uh, with Steve Lavin. I feel uh, like but, we might we might want to we might want to brace Dr. Niehoff for the this and that segment before you before you get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So I, Go ahead. I, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Title IX. Uh, we're a couple years away from it being the 50-year anniversary. Um, and so I'm just wondering, what uh, concerns do you have, uh, if any, uh, with regards to specific sports? So, you know, for example, uh, you don't necessarily deal with uh, things intercollegiately directly, but, you know, like badminton, for example, is something that's uh, in the community college level here that is being considered uh, phased out. And, uh, you know, at the scholastic level, are there concerns ever in this area? Um, what what uh, role do you have in this area in terms of, uh, you know, equity or moving towards, uh, you know, uh, more participation in specific sports? Is there anything new on the horizon like pickleball or, you know, things of that nature that, you know, might uh, be implemented that, you know, social distancing isn't an issue necessarily with that? And you know, things to think about that we never thought about before. Sure, so uh, we're excited about that, uh, that upcoming anniversary. Um, I think as we start to talk about Title IX and what it is, I think it's, it's gonna be a, a good opportunity to remind folks that nowhere in the original Title IX document is the word sport or athletics even mentioned. So mm. um, I think we need to re-educate folks that this really is about opportunities. And I think it's good to, to say, it's not just about varsity sports, it's about opportunities. And as we look at participation rates, which is really at, at the core of the NFHS mission is to get as many kids involved. Um, we wanna make sure that opportunities are there and new things like a pickleball, like badminton, like flag football that we're seeing really growing quickly, um, girls wrestling, um, some of these emerging sports really are about opportunity, not necessarily championship. I would love to see participation grow in intramurals again. I would love to see intramurals come back. Where, because if you look at the participation numbers in high school sport, it's really just about 39% of our high school kids across the country play a sport. 
So what are the other 60 plus percent kids doing? I don't think they're not playing because they don't want to. I think they don't have an ac access to opportunities in varsity programs. Um, and for a number of reasons, and I could go on and on about all that, but uh, I would love to see us bring intramurals back because kids, I think they would love to do something a couple days a week, maybe on the weekend, make it co-ed, ultimate Frisbee. You know, if you did that, you would engage more kids in activity. So to, to kind of shift back on a tangent here, but for Title IX, I would love for us to celebrate opportunity and what that could look like that's creative in the 21st century going forward, reimagining um, what high school experiences and sport can look like, um, and really celebrate what, what it's done specific to sport, but also how we can also um, look at it going forward. Um, well, you, you've got these interesting things co cohabitating. You know, you started off talking about your time as a principal and how you sort of had to educate parents about, you know, opportunity and tryouts and everybody doesn't make it in competition. And, and then you've got this other sort of critter in there about increasing participation and getting more kids involved. And, and I assume that doesn't mean, you know, um, shifting to a no tryout paradigm because that could be messy in some cases. Though, though I will say I tell my basketball kids all the time, that football is a no-cut sport. Yes. So, so don't come and tell me how you made the football team. Everybody makes the football team. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like to think of football as perhaps one of the most um, equal opportunity sports, if you will. There's, there's a shirt for every kind of body type. Um, and, you know, assuming you've got the resources to support the size of the program, everybody can join. And like yeah. track. Everybody can, can do something on a track team. So yeah, that's, that's, that's something about the sport of football that we, we want to continue to champion, that it's important because of the role it plays in allowing for opportunities for kids. Well, I can yeah. tell you our Gridiron Club people at Skyline are going to be very happy to hear you say that. Absolutely. We're, we're working with the NFL right now, um, just NFL, NFHS, on – They've offered some financial support to do some research into high school football and even supporting uh, a staff member uh, potentially in our office to work specifically on tackle football and mm -hmm. trying to, to bring the messaging and advocacy for that sport um, because it's a, it's a tremendous sport. It really is, and it is different. Is that a response to some lower numbers? some participation numbers? You yeah, think? you know, yeah, uh, it, it is. It's also um, a response to a lot of misinformation about the risk minimization efforts that are out there right now. Um, the word safety isn't one that we're going to use a lot in the football conversation, but risk minimization certainly is. Um, so we really want to have folks make informed decisions about the type of football they can play. Maybe it's flag, and that's the lane. Yeah. Tackle players tend to be tackle players, but the role that, that the football plays in the kids' lives is different, um, and everybody can have an opportunity in tackle football. Um, so we really want to make sure folks understand the great work that's been done and the opportunity that it provides. Um, is there risk there? Absolutely, but coaches have never been more educated and, and I think careful 
and how the sport is experienced. So, so that's another initiative we're working on. And maybe part of that education on, on our part as receivers can be, and, and most certainly should be, a better grasp of statistics. Yes. When this, Always. when this, when this, when this, you know, when this is done, and I don't know when what done means or, or when that will happen. You know, it, maybe it's vaccine dependent. Maybe it's a matter of time. Maybe this is the new normal. It's hard to say. Um, but but hopefully we will have a better grasp of what statistics mean because uh, we place a value on each of our student athletes' lives. Absolutely. Almost an irony there that we don't want kids to be treated like statistics, but the statistics matter. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great that you mentioned intramurals. Uh, as a sidebar, I used to be uh, the director at Frostburg State when I was there. And, uh, you know, looking back on that experience, obviously, uh, you and I we both played intercollegiately, uh, different sports, but those memories are things that stay with us forever. But my experiences with intramurals, not only on administrative side, but uh, as a participant also, I mean, I have some great memories of intramurals and I think people that are not competitive or don't have that gene, uh, you know, it can give them a whole different uh, grasp of sport and help them from a lifelong perspective, uh, maybe see things differently and help them in their everyday life on how to get through challenges and and see themselves differently you know physically and emotionally and and just provide a a good healthy outlet for them yes it's interesting when i i remember back when i was doing my master's work i was at iu in bloomington so i was nearby and oh gordon you always got to throw in that part about indiana jeez um you know one of the yeah one of the you know one of the first textbooks you read or like what's the definition of sport you know these are some of the the definition of sport and what 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 are the benefits right so and i remember some of this stuff you know i what i don't remember oddly enough are my statistics courses but i do remember you know i do remember uh, almost didn't graduate um but i do remember you know this this idea about you know what sport can deliver in in the you know in the best case scenario where you do get a sense of teamwork you do get a sense of you know understanding sacrifice you do understand sort of the the um the continuum between your effort and and your payoff um and, and i you know i i hope we do things that um open that up to as many people as we can in as safe a way as we can i do too it, it really um you know and it may sound cliche because we talk so often about the benefits of sport character building teamwork dedication leadership but it's true and there are statistics as you all know um, look at the C-suite in companies. You'll see over 90% of our, our business leaders have, have played a sport and they will go back and attribute so much of their, their uh, skills and attributes to that sport experience. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, there's nothing like it. It, it truly is uh, an, an institution that matters to our country. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my assistant coaches at the college level uh, was a sports agent. And uh, he always said when he looked at resumes, he wanted to see who played uh, high school and college sports because he just knew, you know, sort of as an unwritten rule, you know, <laughs> what they had to endure and, you know, what type of attention to detail and self-sacrifice and selflessness and all the other things that, you know, company sport that they would bring to the table. So, all right, here we go. Uh, this or that, Annika Sorenstam or Martina Navratilova? <laughs> I gotta go with Martina. 
because I'm 54 years old. <laughs> You're in there good company. Go. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Uh, Pac-Man or Tetris? Uh, Tetris. Uh, foot massage or back massage? Definitely a back massage. Chess or checkers? Ooh. Um, checkers because I remember how to play it. <laughs> cooking or dining out? Well, right now we're relegated to cooking. <laughs> mm, that's true. I should say, I should have said ordering out. Oh, ordering out. Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, truth or dare? Dare. What was your best dare ever? Uh, oh, uh, in uh, Puerto Rico, there's a pretty rugged uh, rainforest experience. Wow. And part of this experience, if you so choose, is to climb this rocky crevasse. Oh, boy. And slide. There's a naturally made water chute spout. Oh, that, wow. That shoots down, and it goes about 30 feet down into a pool that, of course, you can't see how deep it is, but, you know, the guide says, oh, yeah, people do it all the time. <laughs> so um, the worst part of it wasn't even the suspension in midair when your stomach's in your throat. <laughs> but the worst part was how it felt to physically, on your rear end, slide down the rocky chute. Oh, so man. That, was, that was the wow. the hard part of the dare, but it was fun. Well, you know, Coach, not every coach in Puerto Rico has as good a, an outdoor experience as that to, to call their own. Yeah, I, I was on my feet. I was upright for about three days following that experience. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, that answers the next one. Cabin in the mountains or mansion in the suburbs? Cabin in the mountains. Right. Uh, vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. I've shifted. I used to be chocolate. Now it's... Some, some French vanilla would be great. Is it because you can add more things to it? Absolutely. You can mix in the crunchy stuff. Wow. You and Lav have so much in common. Tell you what, nothing better than the Oreos in there. <laughs> That's the awesome. That, yeah, exactly. Netflix or Hulu? Uh, Hulu right now. Yeah. Because you're so busy during the day that you have to catch up on your shows. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It seems like there, there aren't a ton of good movies I don't know if that's a summer thing or if it's, you know, just folks, I don't know. Just seems like I've been looking for a little while. And I don't I think know. I can watch Caddyshack one more time. <laughs> oh my, I'm, you know I'm, on, I'm on about my 12th viewing. I, this is not a lie. I, I, we played some golf, uh, did nine holes on Saturday, and that night watched Caddyshack. So um, there that's it was. There it was. Uh, Tiger or Jack? This is not an alcoholic question. Yeah, right. Um, I was trying. I was searching my memory for what Tiger drink I've had. So I must. Have, then I said it's got to be the golfers. Well, I got to go with Jack, um, only because the the technology back then was was really not what it is now. Not that you know Tiger had it when he began his career either so much, but Jack was just that's when and like Martina with tennis rackets. Um, oh. You know, that's when it, it was a wooden racket, you know, in right. the beginning. And, um, and I have to appreciate what Jack Nicholas did with the, the first kinds of equipment we had in golf. Um, and just, it, just a legend. But I put them shoulder to shoulder in terms of their stories, you know, perseverance. Yeah, totally. McDonald's or In-N-Out? 
What's in and out? It's a burger. That's the joint. answer right there. That's the yeah. answer. Burger King. Uh, I'd go with a Burger King. Because of the Impossible Burger or because of the Whopper? Because I'm told they're flame broiled. Is that true? <laughs> that they they are flame broiled. She right. just told you she puts Oreos on her vanilla ice cream. She's probably not <laughs> going for. Probably not going to a fast food for a vegetarian burger. So so I would go to Burger King for the burger, and then I'd sneak over to McDonald's drive-thru for the fries. Yes, I do that all the time. That's it. it. you got to be selective. That's such a great call. Yep. Uh, Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Get going. Get the day going. What's your favorite meal of, of breakfast choice? You know, I have to say it's still cereal. Wow. I, I still eat cereal in, in the summer, and then in the winter, it's probably going to be like oatmeal and some fruit or something like that. Not a big you donut gotta, person. You got to remember these questions were formulated by a guy who whose every team meal was at Golden Corral. So <laughs> take, take take that into consideration. Golden Corral. All right. Wow. All right. A couple more. Uh, uh, let's see, online shopping or store shopping? I definitely do it online when I do shop um, because I can't stand the fluorescent lights in malls. Oh, wow. I, and I, I like it, Christmas season, holiday season, I have to go in with a list and get out if I can't find it online. And I can't stand crowds in stores. So if I can get it done from the comfort of my own couch or something, that's where I'm doing it. Nice. Dogs or cats? Uh, dogs, for sure. Uh, ninjas or pirates? Huh. Uh, I have neither skill set, um, <laughs> but I, I, I might go with uh, the pirates there um, because of the Princess Bride movie. Nice. Not very nimble. Pirates, not nimble. Ninja, not nimble. <laughs> True. So I, I, I did love you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, that that's that's pretty nimble stuff. That's what I'll be watching this evening instead of Caddyshack. Okay, I, maybe I'll, I'll I'll match you on that. MJ or LeBron? Oh, MJ. Although I I love how LeBron has has managed his 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 visibility, his fame, his game, um, and his persona. I think to be that young and go to that level. He has consistently presented himself as a professional, um, a terrific public presence. Uh, just love MJ. And, I mean, that goes back to when, you know, we were athletes, uh, active athletes, and he, what a role model he was for me personally. All right, last question, and we'll let you finish with uh, final thoughts. Um, Steve Lavin obviously was influenced by his parents, as he talked about a couple days ago, uh, and John Wooden. Was, was a big influence for him and John K- K- Katie uh, at Purdue when he got his first job. Um, who, who influenced you the most to be so involved in sport and make this a lifelong journey for you? And uh, thank you again for you know, being a part of this and, and sharing your thoughts and being so transparent with everything. Oh my goodness. Well, it's been great chatting with you all and happy to come on to provide any information going forward. Um, I would say I, I had a number of influences, influencers. Um, first and foremost are my parents, who are both still alive. Um, wow. My father is a retired congregational minister, 
and a former collegiate basketball player. My mother is a retired elementary school teacher um, and uh, both believed in the importance of education and being well-rounded. So although it was never a tough requirement for me or my brothers growing up, we were required to play at least one sport a season, play two instruments, and wow. uh, get a, have jobs as, as well as engage in clubs um, as part of our co-curricular experience. Um, so just the family structure um, provided my brothers and I with a tremendous environment that was supportive, structured, um, but also um, just valued um, learning and people, and especially people of, of, of different backgrounds. So my parents are still are, are, you know, I thought my dad was God until I was about eight, honestly. <laughs> so he's six, five, and he put his robes on. He just, he spoke and people just listened to him and looked at him and I thought he was God. Um, so, Where did he play? So, uh, actually, Washington University in St. Louis. Mm. Oh, yeah. wow. D3. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Years ago and um, wrecked his knee early in his collegiate career. And back then, that was it. So, wow. he couldn't finish. But, um, you know, just still, sports are so important in our family. Um, and then I, my Latin teacher in high school, uh, who was wow. the boys' track coach, um, I occasionally ran with the boys in practice and and uh, so he influenced me to choose a, a Latin teacher pathway. And um, certainly, you know, I loved his discipline. And then uh, I had a phys ed teacher who was a field hockey coach and got me into field hockey when my senior year in high school. And wow, uh, just uh, I thought, you know, she, she made everyone feel included in the phys ed environment. And I remember seeing other teachers and coaches that didn't. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I want to be a teacher and a coach. So those are the key folks that really influenced my decisions to go into teaching and coaching. All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, just really appreciate you guys and what you're doing. I think um, not only is technology important for us to get our work done, but certainly for you to tell the stories. And when we can't go out and talk, I think media, the world of the media, um, especially guys like you that, that bring, it, bring it down from national to local and get it out there across all of the realms of sport with the hottest international and national issues. You guys are just doing a fabulous job. We really appreciate the media and all you do for, for our ecosystem. Um, and if there's anything we can do to support you and, and give you props and, and get your message out there, we're happy to do it on the national stage. You are more than kind to say what you just said. <laughs> yeah. You're our partners. We, are, we want to stand shoulder to shoulder with what you guys do. Now, if I come into, if, if there is a basketball season this year, and, and I'm hoping, I guess the best case scenario now is January, right? That, that maybe there'll be, maybe Butler will tip off in January. It'll be conference only. It'll be sort of a lockout season where you rush to playoffs and have a postseason. If that happens, uh, and I come in, I have a, I have a, a grad school buddy who's, who I've introduced Mark to at Butler. Uh, would you like to go to a game? Would love to. <laughs> okay. Would love to. We are, we are good friends with Butler. And, uh, in fact, one of our staff members does their shot clock. So uh, we, we really love their program, love the university, love their philosophy. 
and uh, how they approach the whole collegiate level student athlete, um, they do it right. They do it well. Well, you're probably getting better tickets than I'm getting. Uh, no, you can't, you can't get tickets. You can't get tickets. They sell, yeah. every, sell everything out because they're so supported. So I'd love to sneak in on that. Your, that's about to change for you guys. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. And awesome. then Mike, I know Mike's probably going to edit, edit this stuff out, but do, do you have any sort of, <laughs> sort of off the record? Do you have any thoughts? Like I, I met with my staff last night virtually. And one of the things we talked about is like, how do we maintain our cohesion as a, as a staff? How do we maintain that with our boys? Do we have more meetings? Do we turn to them to, to communicate more with us? Because they're 16-year-old boys. They're not going to say much. Um, and what happens if we don't have a season? How do we, you know, we're going to lose seniors. Obviously, it's tragic. And then we're going to have a bunch of kids come into our system next year, whenever next year is. Any thoughts about how coaches at the high school level sort of hold it together? Sure. And, and, and Gordon anything. and Gordon just just to follow up real quick. Gordon just canceled his uh, his practices. Which yeah, we very, had we were doing some indoor trainings. Yeah, uh, we were. You know, we had social distancing. We had eight kids at a time. Every kid had his own basket. They all wore masks to the gym. They brought their own basketball, their own water bottles. They had their temperatures taken when they came in. I mean, we did all that, and then and even with that, I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, you know what? Your instincts really have to be your guide when you're doing everything else on top of it. That's right. So um, support you with that. You'll know when it's time. And feel free to put anything I've said today on the record. Um, I think from a staff perspective, we've been having uh, twice weekly staff phone calls. So I think we've been in communication with one another more than we've ever been before because we're not out there traveling the country like we usually do. And we are forced to be in touch. Um, we've also engaged in some staff engagement initiatives that have been fun. So, you know, the background, virtual background challenge, little videos that we've sent <laughs> around. Um, just, you know, call two people on staff every day just to say hi. Um, so we've tried to keep our staff and our membership engaged with the kids in high schools we're hearing about some neat things that coaches are doing with their kids to, um, you know, from fun perspective to basketball perspective, in your case, um, and also from a leadership perspective. They're talking about who you are as student athletes and leaders. What's the role modeling you can do as a student athlete, even if you're not playing? For example, do you make the decision to go to the social gathering after school or not? Do you yourself in your own life? 20, oh, nice cat, gorgeous. Sorry, cat. I love it. Do you, no, you said you, were, you said dogs? You took. Drive. I know, but but I have a cat too. I the just had, has a, been, I had a cat. He, he's been all over. The minute I am on a Zoom call, that is the time to start to uh, complain. Of course, that that's cathood. You know, that's that's what they do. Um, but you know, I think. Tapping kids as student athletes to do things in their 24-7 life in, that really elevates them to a role that, you know, it can reflect proudly on who they are in that uniform, even when they're not playing, is important for kids. So how can we engage our 16-year-old guys in a role as a, as a student leader in the community um, by how they choose to live? do they choose to wear that mask in public when their friends are not? Well, they should, you know, wear, you know, 
carry themselves in um, the most responsible way possible. So there, we're hearing about lots of initiatives that are happening around the country with coaches trying to keep kids engaged. Um, so that there are things that we can do until we get them back into the gym um, that makes them feel special, feel the student athlete role um, and be proud of who they are. Thank you. I, I, I thought of one other thing real quick before we let you go. Uh, do you guys have hotlines or uh, recommendations for kids that are going through depression, uh, especially now because it might be even more um, uh, in the spotlight. Exacerbated. Yeah. Exacerbated. You know, yeah. one of my clients in the middle of our session the other day is uh, going into sixth grade and he talked about how he's depressed, sad, uh, angry, and scared. And it just came out of nowhere in the middle of a basketball training session uh, because he couldn't do some of the things that he was normally accustomed to in the summer. And he's having a hard time with it. And I don't even know if his parents had any idea about it. Yeah, they, they may not. Um, so I would say we do have resources. I can send you some of those. Um, anything from access to hotline information to actual courses for kids about mental health and well-being and things. So oh, um, I can send some links there. But um, we do have a student services committee that is working right now on additional resources dealing specifically with kids being disconnected from activity. Um, there is research coming out of Wisconsin right now. Thousands of high school age kids have reported an increase in anxiety, depression, feeling all those things, apathy, uh, lack of engagement, and it's, it's actually 30% higher than the baseline that they've shown. Wow. So, so it's real. It's a real issue. Um, so we have to pay attention to that. And as I said earlier, if any parents are listening, um, stay in touch with your child. Ask those questions. Watch their behaviors. And, and by golly, if they're demonstrating any of that and they're not communicative, talk to the school counselor. Let them know, heads up. Engage with another outside professional who works in this field. Talk to maybe parents of ch your children's friends to see if they're having the same thing. What are some things that are happening in your social circle or with kids? Um, and then look at some resources that are available. And if you can, get them moving, get them involved in something, um, even if it's an individual activity, but get them out of the house when you can. Get them active because we know that physical activity leads to benefits chemically in the brain. Um, so all sorts of things there. Pay attention because it's real. Awesome. Thanks, Doc. I kind of felt like this is this might be one of those rare times in human history where where you can say everybody's feeling about the same thing. I mean, I, Mike asked the question, and I'm thinking like, who is not depressed and angry and confused and and upset? And you know, I mean, it's um, not it's a, a it's difficult. It's a difficult period. I I find it difficult personally. So, um, yeah, we are in. Um, we need to have what I'll call a new tolerance for ambiguity, like we've never had to face right. before. So, I mean, for years, sport has been engaged in risk mitigation. We've got rules. We've got guidelines to keep, you know, risk minimization in the forefront. This is challenging us in a whole new way. So now, where do we balance um, caution and care with common sense? And what, and 
are we ready for it to look different across town lines, school lines, what have you, state lines? Um, and are we ready to get started and maybe have someone get sick? and maybe have to stop again. What is this? How do we tolerate ambiguity now? And how do we talk about the ambiguity? How do we deal with it emotionally? And, you know, I'll liken it to speed limits on a highway. We know that there's risk if you drive fast. Um, so we say you don't go faster than 65, but we also know you don't have to go as slow as 10. So where do we land with COVID in this? Is it 65 is it 55 what how do we talk about risk mitigation here so sorry to be long-winded but i think you're right we're all feeling this kind of what is this thing and i feel a little scared about it but at the same time i feel so disconnected and i you know i'm upset how do i how do i get this address this so i appreciate what you said gordon i think we're all dealing with it yeah, and, and, and Black as far Lives as long, Matter as a whole nother layer. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And as far as being long-winded, remember you're following Coach Lavin. <laughs> oh, so, all right. So. so, so you know, you've got a, you've got a lot. The bar is pretty high. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll be a sprinter then. Yeah. <laughs> Middle distance. Well, I, you, you, I, I don't know what, Mike, uh, I know we want to let you go and you've been great. And, um, uh, you know, with the, the great, the two great things I think in, in both Steve's interview and the interview with you is I think both of you were um, better than, and it's the better than I expected. Not that I thought either, either session would be um, mediocre or poor, but it's great to be able to get people like you on the show and, and um, pick your brain and, and hear your perspective and, and, and know that your background is a very traditional sports education background that you've ticked all the boxes in terms of you know where you got educated and how you pursued this and and you're where you are for a reason um and we're glad you're there it's thank probably you. long overdue that you're oh, there you. um um and and you know as a coach i certainly look forward to knowing more about the federation and, and its operations i think ad's probably get it um directors really get it Coaches probably don't get it until there's an announcement that there's not going to be a shot clock in Wisconsin. Then they get it. But, <laughs> but other than that, I don't know that they actually get it. Well, as a, you know, we haven't talked about the shot clock in a while now, come to think of it. Because yeah, well, it's rare. Yeah. But it's, it's still one of those things that you just come out of the rules committee like, oh, guys, you know, it's some places really want it, some places, heck no. So, here we it's sit, a, ambiguity. It's a, it's a huge, <laughs> right. it's a huge hot, hot topic amongst coaches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy. All right, anyway, we'll save that for, for the next on, podcast. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Doc. We appreciate it. Good luck with the rest of your day and, and navigating all of this. Okay. And, uh, you guys the, as well. If yeah. you need yeah. something out here in Washington or in San Diego, please don't uh, hesitate to ask or have Mark ask, okay? You bet, guys. And, and likewise, anything you need from us, just say the word and hope that you and your families and actually to all of your listeners that, that everyone is well. We hope so, too, and uh, look forward to sitting down with you at Hinkle. All right. Take care. All right. Sounds good. Right. Thanks so much. You bet, you guys. That was I enjoyed her. I've, I've enjoyed these last two interviews. Not that I didn't enjoy the ones before. Did you? No. Did you in Oh yeah, well, it's, we're probably just getting a little bit better with our this or that questions. So you know. Oh my god. <laughs>
<laughs> you should you 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 should be you should be getting a sponsorship from Chick Fil A, Chick Fil A, or Fruit Loops, or whoever. Or why don't you? Why don't you? We could be sponsored by Jack Daniels. <laughs> this, this and you could life. say you could say Tiger or Jack, and I'm not talking about Jack Daniels. But if you're gonna go drink whiskey, Jack Daniels is the whiskey for you. <laughs> That's right. Once we hit our 10,000th uh, download, then maybe we can approach uh, David. Great job, Gordon. And thanks again to Dr. Carissa Niehoff, the executive director of the NFHS. And this has been The Sports Deli, season one, episode six. And until next time, you can reach us at thesportsdeli at gmail.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Mike Kutner and on Twitter at Michael Hootner.